Hello and welcome to That Was Football, a football nostalgia podcast designed to bring back memories of when football really was the beautiful game. My name's Andy Ross and as ever I'm joined by Greg McDonald. How you doing mate? Hi, I'm, I'm alright mate, Aye. I'm a bit cold but I've not stuck the heating on yet, I've resisted. Oh, we're the exact same and, and long may it continue. <laughs> exactly. uh, I would imagine you get quite cold there as I took about 17 attempts to get the, the intro right. But Aye, from just... here on in it's... It's all guns blazing. I'm I'm ready for this. Me too, mate. It's a big one. As today we talk about World Cup '98, which is of course held in France. Now, I would put this right up there with personally my favourite World Cup. Uh, a close second would be the last World Cup in Russia. Controversially, I know, but uh, oh. yeah, this is one that. I hold very close to my heart, particularly given that Scotland were involved and they played a, a fairly major part, especially in the, or well, only in the, the initial <laughs> stages of the tournament. But let's give you a wee bit of background to France 98. It was held, of course, in the summer of 1998. All World Cups were held in the summer at that time. Four <laughs> new faces in the, the competition, Croatia, Jamaica, Japan and South Africa. For the first time ever as well, the World Cup would be played by 32 teams or the finals, 32 teams progressed to the final stages. So we kicked off with eight groups of four. And Greg, will we just do a deep dive through the group stages uh, A to H just now? Would that be the best way to go about this? We'd have thought we'd have maybe planned it. <laughs> I guess so, mate. I guess we could just talk about a wee bit about you know, our kind of personal memories leading up to it and stuff, because like um, this was definitely the this was definitely the World Cup I looked forward to the most as a kid. Like because I was I was twelve years old at this point, so USA ninety four. I was eight, you know, so I, I watched it, but I didn't. I wasn't kind of obsessing over it as I would with France ninety eight, and uh, and then you know, um, two thousand two. I was a wee bit older, so. It kind of is, I still watched it all, obviously, but it's not quite the, the wondrous thing that it was when I was 12. But I was really looking forward to this tournament. Um, and as you said, it was really cool that Scotland were a part of it, like part of the the opening game. I think around a billion people watched the opening game. And it was a, it was a pretty cool feeling that we were playing Brazil, like the kind of mythical Brazil, uh, the best team in the world, the favourites, the holders. And it was us that uh, we were the kind of, Sacrifice, I suppose, for for their uh, first game. Um, but I, I, if you want, uh, if, I don't know if you've got any memories of if we just crack on into the groups. Yeah, I, th- I think that Scotland qualifying for the Euros is possibly kind of got us, gave us all an opportunity to look back on our last major tournament, which was mm-hmm. prior to qualification for Euro 2020 as it was France 98 so there was a lot of coverage given to our, our last qualification in the build up to Euro 2020 and there was some some really brilliant footage so many Scots went across to France mm-hmm. I can remember Euro 96 has been a well, was obviously a precursor for for the World Cup in '98, but it was the first memories I have of, of Scotland being at a major championship, mm-hmm. and I get really caught up in that. Scotland played England in the second group mm-hmm. game, so there was obviously yeah, that was the eyes of the too. nation were all 
we're all on it. So mm-hmm. that was uh, that was something, but that was really the warm up act for France '98. I was lucky enough to be at two or three of the Scotland qualifiers, including the Latvia game where Scotland won two 0 to qualify for the World uh, Cup. That was tournament for Celtic Park. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I was at any. We used to go with like our like we used to play football. Like we're in a football group. We went to quite a few Scotland games, but I think it was mainly Euro '96 qualifiers we went to, or just friendlies. Can't remember going to any for this qualifier, but uh, it's definitely, definitely some good memories there. Yeah, I, I was quite lucky in the sense that my first ever Scotland game was Scotland defeating Greece one 0 Ali McCoy's came on. Yep, I was at that. Yeah, that secured qualification for. Euro 96, and then a couple of years later, September 97, might have been October 97, but who's who's counting? Uh, <laughs> we qualify for the World Cup, courtesy of a, a big win against Latvia. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the other game that was really significant in that qualification process was the, the 1-0 victory over Sweden and also defeating Austria at Parkhead as well. I wasn't at that game. Can't remember why. I'm sure that my boys' club they yeah. all went. I, I think I might have been in something like that. I I think I might have been in the Sweden game. Now you mention it, but I'd not even thought about that in the last I don't know twenty twenty years. <laughs> but I think I might have been at that as well. Yeah, we're we're concentrating very much in, in Scotland here, and the, the whole <laughs> tournament was a it massive last. massive affair. Uh, so we kick off with Group A. That was contested among. Brazil, Norway, Scotland, and Morocco. Greg's already touched upon the opening game. That would finish Brazil 2, Scotland 1. Scotland suffering really devastating late heartbreak in that game. <laughs> Caesar Sampaio headed Brazil ahead after five minutes. And straight away you're thinking, this could be a very, very <laughs> long afternoon for the Scots. <laughs> but it didn't transpire that way. Scotland played themselves back into the match really well. Mm-hmm. Equalised courtesy of John Collins' penalty. But, Greg, as always, there's a twist, and this one was <laughs> really, really cruel. Yeah, what is it? So, like, it goes to Cafu, doesn't it? Um, he's kind of closing in on uh, Jim Leighton in the box. It hits it off Leighton, then I think Leighton hits it off Tom Boyd, doesn't it? Then Tom Boyd, it kind of ricochets off him and it goes in. It kind of looks like Colin Hendry could get it, but then he just kind of sinks to his knees. I used to think that anyway, but watching it again, Watching again, I thought that would have been pretty hard to get actually. But uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a cruel, um, a bit of a cruel um, loser for us. What was funny though, I, I I've got a random memory of um. So as you said, Cesar Sampaio got the um, opener for Brazil. My mum, she was doing like a sweepstake or something in our work where you had to like you know uh, guess a random guy for like the first scorer, and she guessed Cesar Sampaio. So every cloud. <laughs> that certainly helps. I, I think another thing about that goal was Gordon Jury's attempt to yeah. intercept it. He found himself in the fullback position, and I'm not 100% sure why he was there, but he tries this outlandish kind of flying slide tackle to, to intercept. <laughs> it doesn't make any contact with the ball. No. And then my abiding memory is Cafu doing a somersault in celebration. A slightly crooked somersault into it. It's not perfect, but I uh, it get it gets over the line. <laughs> Almost as if it was him that had volleyed home from thirty yards to win the game. 
No, uh, yes. you've just beaten Scotland, courtesy of an own goal. But anyway, that's my bitterness <laughs> coming through. And the other opening game of the group, Morocco won, Norway won. And this is, we'll talk about the kind of goals of the tournament later on, but this is one of my favourite ones, actually. Hada for Norway. Uh, yeah. Hada. For, Sorry, for Morocco, aye. Yeah, his first touch is utterly sublime and a brilliant, brilliant finish. It was, uh, yeah, right up there with the best goals of the tournament. Obviously yeah. scored by someone I wasn't familiar with either, so that made it that little bit more exciting. That's the, the beauty of the World Cup at times. Ah, you're right, because I remember the Mustafa Hadji goal from that game, because that's a really good goal as well. But I totally forgot about that, the second goal. It's, aye, as you say, exceptional touch and finish. Um, and aye, that, that was a... Those two were kind of setting us to look, because Morocco were on decent form coming into it. Uh, I think they might have been the number one ranked African team coming into this. And Norway as well, like, uh, we'll get onto their game in Brazil in a minute, but Norway actually beat Brazil 4-2 in a friendly before the World Cup, so they were obviously no mugs either, so the two of them are kind of showing uh, what they offered here. Yeah, and of course, I said it was 1-1, that game finished 2-2. Into the second round of fixtures, Ronaldo, who was the poster boy of Brazilian football, a team that featured stars both in the starting 11 and coming off the bench as well. Danielson, I can remember, being brought yeah. on against Scotland. He had just went for the world record transfer fee around that time as well. So mm-hmm. there was no shortage of talent amidst their ranks. <laughs> Ronaldo, quite quiet in the opening game, but you, you just saw that turn of pace and yeah, just incredible finishing just... ability as well with that goal against Morocco. Yeah, he's just, aye, Ronaldo's just on another planet, I think, to everyone at this tournament. But uh, what what we didn't mention, actually, about Brazil, as, you know, as kind of stacked as their attack was, it was meant to include Romario. But Romario, um, he was he was kind of ruled out with injury. They, they waited for, like, nine days, like, the nine days before, before the tournament started. Like, they waited as long as they could to see if he could heal. But Romario couldn't make it, so Romario was obviously the star of the previous World Cup. And the thought, well, not even the thought of him and Ronaldo get together. We saw them together in friendlies in the Copa America the year before. They were, I mean, they were like they were like York and Cole, but if York and Cole were like the two best players in the world as well, they had that understanding, but they were both just, I mean, Ronaldo would do most of the work and then Romario. Romario's possibly an even more precise finisher than Ronaldo. So, I mean, I think, um, I don't, well... Most people probably know who won the World Cup, but I, I think it could have possibly been different um, had had Romario gone. But yeah, Ronaldo looks classier. So Ronaldo was up and running the tournament, though he'd be overshadowed in the last round of group games. Norway previously had drawn against Scotland, just as they had done against Morocco in the opening game. Tori Andrew Flo scored the opening goal just after half-time. Craig Burley responded about 20 minutes later. With a death chip <laughs> uh, to, to provide what was Scotland's undoubted highlight of the, the competition, their only point. Yeah. I've, I've got to admit. hinge on those, those final group games, Greg. Yeah, uh, I've got to admit, though, it doesn't really sit right with me that Craig Burley still got our last World Cup goal. You know, like, uh, he's not my he's not my favourite football pundit, put it that way. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, at this point, Scotland still have it all to play for, don't they, as we go into the last stage? Yeah, it certainly was. And with 
Norway playing Brazil, who looked to have found their stride and winning 3-0 against Morocco. I think a lot of Scots really fancied making the, the knockout stages. They performed well against Brazil, possibly a bit below par against Norway, but found a way to get back into the game. Then you had that final game up against the Moroccans, who were somewhat unknowns. This wasn't the era of YouTube and mm-hmm. readily available information. What would transpire was quite an incredible bit of, of World Cup drama, really. Morocco, completely dominant against Scotland. Mm-hmm. Basir opened the scoring midway through the first half. That man had it again. He makes yeah. it 2-0 just after the break. And then it's finished off with Basir towards the end, just kind of prodding the ball high beyond Jim Layton. Brazil had a 1-0 lead against Norway. That was Bebeto scoring with 12 minutes to go. You're thinking... Morocco have made it through to the, the knockout stage is an incredible feat. Yep. But it wasn't to be. Tori Andre Flo equalises. And then they get an absolutely ridiculous penalty <laughs> for a minute to go. Big Thomas Rekdal steps up, slots it away. And Norway have beaten Brazil. So they've beaten the holders. They've not finished top of the group, but they finished second and qualified in ridiculously dramatic circumstances. But that penalty, that is. Oh. It was a quite incredible decision. I know, I know. Obviously, this is the time before VAR, isn't it? And uh, one thing I noticed when I was watching a lot of the goals from, the, especially the group stages, looked like a lot of these goals were offside. But that, but that's one of them where it's yeah, it's a very, very questionable uh, refereeing call. I don't know if. I mean, it doesn't really. I mean, I guess if the it doesn't it doesn't affect the group standings, so it doesn't suggest. I mean, sorry, what am I talking about? I was going to say. It doesn't affect the group stands as far as Brazil are concerned. But yeah, the uh, questionable ref call, I don't know if it's maybe karma for Morocco because, you know, Morocco, they'd, they'd attempted to host the tournament, hadn't they? And uh, they were they were found out to have, you know, attempted to bribe <laughs> bribe their way into hosting. Uh, for once, France were the innocent party in bribery. But <laughs> yeah, so maybe this was maybe this was karma catching up to Morocco. But I at the time, you know... I'd I'd kind of forgotten about this kind of late drama in this group because at the time I was just so um, selfishly swept up in how Scotland were doing, but we were really we were really the afterthought to all the all the drama here because it was a strong Brazil team that's playing. It's not like they were already through, you know. They'd um, they'd won their first two games, so they didn't need to beat Norway. They didn't need to field the strongest team, but they only arrested like one or two players, so it's still a very strong team that they that they led out, but. Yeah, Norway, Norway do it, and I would have, um, I would have probably said, you know, this group standing, that's about the way you would think it would go at this time. Brazil, Norway, Morocco, Scotland. I would say, maybe Scotland third, but not to be. Yeah, young Andy certainly thought that Scotland was <laughs> destined for second going into that Morocco game, but yeah, we live and learn. On <laughs> <laughs> on to Group B, that was contested by Italy. Chile, Austria and Cameroon and that would be then standings there uh, first to last it's the opening game of this group that really captured the attention a thrilling 2-2 draw mm-hmm. Roberto Baggio exercising some demons as well, scoring from the penalty spot in that game Chile, again it was one of these ones where you, you go down with a bit of limited knowledge of 
other side, but they were excellent in this game, and, and Italy perhaps a bit fortunate to come out of the game with anything. Yeah, I think this was a bit of a fortunate penalty as well. Uh, the one, the one Italy got in this game, I think that was that was pretty lucky. But I mean, Italy going into this, they had. I mean, what what a team they had. When you look at you know the defenders and the attackers they had, I mean. The, their substitute attackers were, I mean, I know Baggio was playing this game, but I mean, generally their first choice front two was going to be Del Piero and Vieri, whereas Del Piero picked up a wee injury. He was, he was still fine. He made the, made the tournament, but he wasn't fit to start the first couple of teams. But their two sub attackers were Baggio and Inzaghi. And, you know, they left left guys at home like Signore, Zola, Ravinelli, Casaraghi, like <laughs> it just goes on. Um, and their defence obviously had Maldini, Nesta, uh, guys like that. But I uh, yeah, but yeah, Chile Chile do really well this game. They think kind of the way I think we knew about Salas and Zamorano, I think, um just about. And uh, they're they're quite I think people remember that Chile kit, don't they? The Reebok kind of kit and like the massive name and numbers on the back. But um what I'd forgotten about this game was to see the pass for Baggio for Vieri's goal, first time. Oof. Very nice. Yeah, certainly as the interesting thing about Chile in this group stage uh, was that the fact that they were ahead in all three games but didn't register one win oh, good so point. They managed to advance on three points the other game in the opening round was Cameroon 1 Austria 1 after that Italy hit some forum against Cameroon and a game that featured an outrageous red card from Raymond Calla it's a tackle on Di Baggio <laughs> It's horrendous. It's so high up. Uh, it's, Cameroon, yeah. we've gone to accumulate quite a few red cards in this World Cup. Uh, but yeah, yeah I've, not, I've not watched that one in a while. But, on one. Uh, I've not watched that one in a while, but I do I vaguely remember. I kind of, yeah, just, it just flew in at like chest height, didn't it? I think. <laughs> but I. The tackle you actually grimace at watching is yeah. properly horrendous. But yeah, Vieri just kind of bullies them. I think that's what that's my memory from watching that game live. It was just I they just couldn't handle Vieri at all. Vieri was class in this World Cup. Chile and Austria play a draw. I've kind of spoiled what all Chile's results were in this stage, <laughs> but this was finished one-one. Then we move on to the last round of fixtures. You've got. Rigobert Solm been sent off for Cameroon. The first player to be sent off in successive World Cups. He managed nice. to claim that that crown. Go on, what, that's a Smashing bit of uh, research <laughs> as well from me there. Yeah, Aye, well done, mate. Didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, Sierra's free kick against Cameroon for Chile. I don't, I don't know if you, you can recall Aye. that one, but um, very nice. Right up there with one of the goals of the tournament as well. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. One goal I actually liked as well was um, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about my favourite goal from the World Cup later on. But one goal I really liked in this uh, one as well. Sees Salas has one against Italy. His second one, really nice header. Salas was like such a good header, even though he wasn't the tallest guy. Just wanted to before I forget, I'll just mention that. No, that's that's cool. The the, the talking point of, of that Chile Cameroon game is though that the Chile really took their foot off the gas at one 0 up. Cameroon equalised. Despite the fact they're down to ten men, and then they have a goal disallowed towards the end, mm. inexplicably disallowed, <laughs> which obviously prevents the game going two one. Had that happened, and despite their 
pretty average tournament to that point. Cameron would have went through in four points. Um, instead, it was ruled out for whatever reason. Now, it's a shame this isn't a watch along, but watch it back at some point and get in touch and tell us why this goal has been disallowed because <laughs> you know, there's just no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever. Oh, maybe. And of course, for the second time in a row, Cameroon exit at the group stages. They're kind of 1990 dream competition has been long forgotten about by the time you, you exit the group stage for the second successive time. Uh, Roger Miller's turning in his grave. Well, he's not dead, but you know, he <laughs> won't be happy. And <laughs> <laughs> the other uh, game goes from Vieri and Baggio helped Italy defeat Austria 2 1. So Italians very comfortably through. Chile go through in second. And let's move it straight on to Group C, which featured the hosts, France, mm-hmm. also Denmark, South Africa, and Saudi Arabia. So France in, in this group, rampant in their opening two games. It took them a wee bit longer than expected to burst into life against South Africa. Issa scored an own goal to make it uh, 2-0 and then... I think he might have scored another one, although it was credited to Thierry, to Thierry Henry. Aye, yeah. Two in the last 10 minutes. Uh, that put the gloss in that one. But they were excellent against Saudi Arabia. However, that wasn't the main talking point, was it? No, Zinedine no. Zidane showing a, a red card, and one that he certainly couldn't argue with. I've talked about a few contentious decisions in this World Cup to this point. He was lucky to escape with a two-match ban. And yeah. You think about how the tournament would progress for Zinedine Zidane, it could have been also different because in the modern game, <laughs> you would be lucky to come back out with a single figure ban for yeah. such a, a moment of madness. And yeah, you look through his career, it's, it's something that that will uh, he will be remembered for. Yeah, he's always got that. He's always got that bit of edge in him, Zidane, doesn't he? Because <laughs> I mean, I, I think. Um... I remember the 2006 World Cup, De Rossi got sent off in the second game against the USA, and I don't think he played again until the final. Now, I can't remember how many games he was banned for, but or if he was just a sub, but I think he missed more than two the two games that Zidane did, so you know the, they were getting a bit stricter on um, uh, the rules as, as they went along, but I, I'm going to... I think this is a... Uh, it's maybe a suspiciously easy draw for France, this group. <laughs> I think South Africa and Saudi Arabia might be the two worst teams in the tournament. And uh, yeah, France got them both. And yeah, and uh, a decent second round draw as well, maybe. But Denmark are a decent team, though, obviously. Um, they'll, we'll go on to talk about them. But yeah, it's sometimes forgotten that Zidane got sent off in this tournament that he's so well known for. Absolutely, and Denmark would pick up four points from their first two group games. They defeated Saudi Arabia and then they drew with South Africa, which gave the South Africa team a bit of hope going into that last round. In that final round, France defeated Denmark 2-1. South Africa and Saudi Arabia played out a 1-1 draw. Um, And it was at that point where I was noticing a few penalties being converted and None being missed. So I started, I started to do a wee bit of digging, as you do. Mm-hmm. And what I wasn't aware of was that there hadn't been a penalty missed in normal time in a World Cup 
in the last two competitions. So, at Italia 90 and USA 94, during normal time, and you, th- you think of the, the World Cup 94 final and Roberto Baggio's penalty yeah. still travelling. <laughs> <laughs> However, in normal time, there hadn't been any penalties missed, which I thought was quite extraordinary. It's just a, a wee tip yeah, of yeah. information share there. But, uh, <laughs> no, I don't know that. You don't know. As it transpires, France go through as, as group winners, Denmark second. South Africa, I would say they would regard it as a fairly respectable showing in their first World mm-hmm. Cup. They, they drew with Denmark, which you wouldn't expect. Maybe given the first two results for Saudi Arabia, and given that the last game had nothing but pride to play for for them, South Africa would have maybe hoped to get a, a result that would have put them in contention. But they didn't manage to do that and exit the tournament at the group stage. Mm-hmm. Group D, perhaps most notable for Spain's failure to qualify. In fact, I would say it's most oh. certainly most notable for that. They went into this tournament really fancied a very, very yeah. good squad and had a very strong qualifying campaign as well. The opening game of this group, Spain 2, Nigeria 3, it's absolute classic and if you get the opportunity to even sit and watch the 90 minutes I would encourage you to do so this was a really legendary Nigerian team as well yeah yeah they, I mean this sorry go on just even the response to going behind you would think like, kind of the pattern of games nowadays you'd expect it to be a bit of a hammer to be honest and instead they just showed incredible spirit and fired back time and time again. Yeah, I mean, this was um, ah, this was heartbreaking for me. This group, I like Nigeria, but I've, back then, for some reason, I really liked Spain. I think it started when like I really liked their strip in Euro '96. So from there, I just <laughs> started liking the national team. But I was, yeah, I was so kind of into Spain at this point. I don't know, yeah, I don't know why, but yeah, really, I really fancied them. Um, I just thought this was group was going was going to be Spain and one other. Um, but Nigeria, as you talked about, Nigeria, they were a very, you know they had they had a very good US in '94, and then they had they won the Olympics, a really kind of memorable final against Argentina in the Olympics. They had I think they had guys like Canu uh, playing for them there. But in France '98, yeah, they had a lot of good names. They've got Canu, uh, Sunday Elise, as he gets the the winner in the three two. Tijani Babangida, brilliant goal as well. It's a rocket. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely one of the best it. goals. Yeah, one of the best goals of the tournament, definitely. But I think uh, Olise, uh, he was such a he was such a like gifted player as well. He wasn't just a guy who could hit it. He was he had like really good feet as well. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get. I suppose I'll get to Spain in the next couple of games. So <laughs> I'll let you go on for now. And, and that other. Uh, the other game in the group at that time was Paraguay nil, Bulgaria nil. So a rather uninspiring start for both of them. Bulgaria in particular, because I think that there would have been a bit of expectation given their, their exploits in the, the 94 World Cup where they, yeah. they reached the semi-finals and, and dispatched the holders on their way there. And the next game, Nigeria defeated Bulgaria 1-0. Spain played out a 0-0 draw with Paraguay, which left progression in the hands of the South Americans. You go into the last Round of fixtures, saw on the Paraguay Nigeria game. 
the the expectation there that Nigeria have got six points out of six they're already through. Possibly played into the hands of Paraguay and they would dispatch them 3-1. Bulgaria, as I say, unable to hit the heights of four years previously. They finished with a 6-1 thrashing at the hands of Spain. But as it transpired, Spain had sparked into life too late. Mm -hmm. They exit the tournament at the group stages, despite showing all their qualities in that 6-1 win. It's, it's baffling stuff and so many times you see this, a team coming in so heavily fancied on the big stage and it just doesn't quite work out. Yeah, I mean, what was so infuriating was, I remember all that, that that game with Paraguay, that Spain-Paraguay game, that was just excruciating. I mean, this Nigeria game was disappointing in, in a different way. It was it was a fantastic game. And we didn't mention the Zubizarreta error in, for Nigeria's second goal, <laughs> where, where he just kind of palms it into his own net. I don't know if that affected the confidence of the team somewhat, but what what everyone was saying about Spain in the first two games is like, why isn't Morientes playing? Why isn't Morientes playing? Like, because he was Raul's strike partner for Real Madrid, who just happened to have won the European Cup a couple of a couple of weeks uh, prior, and yeah, he didn't play he didn't play Morientes until the final game here against Bulgaria, where aye, it turns out they win six one. Uh, yeah, it was just it was so infuriating. I mean. For a while, I think Spain were through, weren't they? Because while it was a draw and Spain were winning, they were through. And then, yeah, suddenly Paraguay, Paraguay, who'd looked so workmanlike and miserly up to this point, suddenly they crack. Christian Benitez goes a cracking goal for Paraguay. And I, it's still somewhat of an upset that they beat Nigeria. Um, but yeah, absolute, yeah, just, just, just total heartbreak. And Real bewilderment, you know, from from the Spain camp as to how this happened. I can't mention Paraguay without paying tribute to their captain, oh. the talisman Jose Chevalier. Uh, I really hope that's a, a decent attempt at pronouncing his surname. But a goalkeeper, first and foremost, and even mm -hmm. then, inverted commas around that comment because. That was <laughs> the penalty taker, the free kick taker, get so close to scoring a wonderful oh, no. free kick. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, so many talking points. I know, like I, I was, oh, you've just played in for him to score that free kick, weren't you? Yeah, so close. And that's uh, so that obviously sent through Nigeria and Paraguay. We'll go on and talk about Group E. So we'll move on and talk about Group E, which featured Holland, Mexico, Belgium and South Korea. I would say that Holland's 5-0 victory over South Korea, an absolutely stunning performance, would be the main talking point here. Belgium looked quite well placed to qualify in the final round, but South Korea managed to get an equaliser. And that, coupled by a late Mexico comeback against Holland from 2-0 down, would eventually break their hearts. Looking back at some of the reaction from around the time, 
and reading a few reports of the Belgium-South Korea game, the focus is all on Luke Mulis and the amount of chances that he missed, which proved to be very, very costly for a Belgian side that I would, I would say they were more industrious and mm. than they were filled with quality like they are in the modern day. But I looked for all the world at, at 2-0 Holland against Mexico and 1-0 for Belgium against South Korea. That it was quite a sure thing. It just didn't quite work out for them. And yeah, as I say, a, a heartbreaking way to exit the tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's probably around... 2013 into it that Belgium really kind of started developing this golden generation for most of the time when we were growing up they were, they were quite a workman-like team weren't they? Like Yeah, like they had Luke Nellis and uh, I, I don't know, I can't even remember another guy <laughs> there's a guy called Besedio as well I think that one. but aye, they, they weren't they weren't really a, a, a European force that they are now I think um, I would put a Holland as one of the pre-tournament favourites for France 98 um, when you see just some of the players they had, Clive up, Bergkamp, David, Sadoff, the De Boers, Newman, like Stam. Uh, yeah, they were just kind of littered with talent, weren't they? But it was, yeah, it was a great story for uh, Mexico. Uh, they had, um, with, with that, I can't remember, was it Hernandez that got the late equaliser uh, against Holland? I can't remember. Um, but they did have a few, they had a few kind of cult heroes in there. Luis Hernandez, you know, he was a bit like, a, looked like a blonde Ginola a wee bit, uh, Luis Hernandez. And they had Blanco as well up front, who did you know the Blanco hop, where he grabs the ball between both his feet and jumped, and um, Josh Campos as well. I know he was in '94 as well, but Josh Campos, he was, I mean, he had he had jazzy goalie strips even by '90s goalie strip standards, didn't he? <laughs> he designed them himself, uh, Josh Campos. So I, it was they're always they're always quite a cool team to to have around. Um, What's it's funny to see Mexico and South Korea being in the same group here. It reminded me of, do you mind in the last World Cup, they were in the same group. They were in the group with Germany and uh, Germany went out in the group stage. I remember. Yeah, right. yeah so I remember like uh, Korea beat Germany 2-0, I think, on the last day of the group, which helped Mexico qualify for the next round. And I just remember like <laughs> outside one of the stadiums, a bunch of Mexican fans were like running and like just going about celebrating. They spot like this Korean guy. <laughs> they just all run towards him and like lift him up and start throwing him in the air. Guy must have been terrified, but <laughs> it's quite funny. They're just like shouting, Korea, Korea, and just lift him in the air. But <laughs> it just reminded me of that. I'm gonna dig the video to that later, I think. <laughs> and then I think it again is is one of these scenarios where Holland perhaps had developed a wee bit of a reputation for taking their foot off the gas in games where things looked to be going quite well for them. They had maybe done a similar thing and maybe it's just the bitterness coming out of me here at Euro 96 where oh, it should never have been a, a 4-1 game. Uh, I would have preferred to be a 4-0 game for England to be honest yeah. because that goal to make it 4-1 by Dennis Bergkamp put Scotland out of the competition but they're 2-0 up within the first 16 minutes against Mexico in the last or 18 minutes rather mm-hmm. in the last group game against Mexico they're still 2-0 up at 74 minutes the Mexico goal's coming in 75 and as you say Hernandez scores that's 90 plus 4 to make it 2-2 so yeah a really sore one to take for, for Belgium there I will say fa- that it... Sorry, on you go. 
Oh, cheers. I know. It was just, I, I remember, like, this was still the time when Holland were known as, like, a group of guys who kind of didn't like each other into it. They were, um, they were a very talented team. But until about, I think the stigma didn't really go away till about 2010, I think, until they got to the final in there. But they were kind of known as, yeah, they didn't really like each other, but uh, they were so talented, they, st they still got quite far sometimes. And that is kind of bizarre as well to look at because they beat South Korea 5 0 and Marseille with five different goal scorers. So Aye. you think that the they're showing signs of being able to share the well. They were semi finalists in 1994, so they came in with a lot of pedigree. And I think overall they've got they've got the job done in that group. Uh, it just could have been a, a lot more emphatic over the piece. Instead, yeah. they would get one win and, and two draws, but still top the group. Yeah, the just kind of flat to deceive. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a perfect summary of it, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> the summary of Group F, Germany would defeat the USA in the opening game 2-0. At the same time, Yugoslavia edge out Iran 1-0. Move into the second lot of fixtures. Another brilliant game here, Germany 2, Yugoslavia 2. It must be said that Andreas Kopka had an absolute nightmare. Two awful errors for the Yugoslavian goals. That put them 2-0 up. But they would find a way back. And this Lothar Mateus, his fifth World Cup as well, by the way. Yeah. They get back in it through a it's a free kick that takes a wicked deflection off of Mihailovic and ends up in the net. Then Oliver Bierhoff. It's a dramatic late equaliser. So Germany back from the brink in that game. They've claimed a 2-2 draw. At the same time, Iran have played the USA. Or the games didn't run parallel, but they, they played them, I think it was actually that evening. They played in Leon. Mm -hmm. It was hailed as a peace game, obviously, prior conflict between the, the nations. A stunning result in this one. Iran coming out 2-1 victors and at that stage Iran are going into the, the last round of group games with a possibility of getting through, uh, albeit they've still got to take on Germany the final group games did go the way the favourites though a 2-0 win for Germany against Iran, Yugoslavia defeat the USA 1-0 so the USA exit the competition without a point and when we've been covering all of these groups previously, they're the only team that didn't manage to register any sort of positive results. So immensely disappointing for them. Coming off the, the real boom period where it hosted USA 94. Yeah, and I think MLS MLS started in like 93 or something, I think, didn't it? So that was during the kind of boom. I think the women won the World Cup the year after this. They won it in 99 because I remember I was in America at that time. And it's weird being in America then, like, I don't know if it's still like this. It probably is actually in America, but the women's team is genuinely more popular than the men in America, <laughs> like, only for the US national team, not overall. But, yeah, it was a very disappointing World Cup for them, but it was quite it was quite amazing circumstances um, surrounding that Iran game because it was kind of, it was dubbed as the game that would never happen, you know, because America, I think they'd supported Iraq and the Iraq-Iran war. So, relations be between the two countries weren't great and I think the um the leader of Iran so like on every World Cup game you get team A and team B 
and Team B is supposed to go towards Team A for handshakes. But in this case, Iran were Team B, but the Iran leader had explicitly said, don't go and shake their hands. <laughs> so, But what what they ended up doing, all, all the players just kind of mixed in together and they were like holding yeah, up. Last team photo almost. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty cool because like Jeff Agus, one of the US players, he was saying the game kind of went off without you know, notable notable violence or controversy or anything. There was like some like radical Iranians, I think, in the crowd trying to tr- cause trouble, but nothing really happened. And Jeff Agus said later, you know, like we did more in ninety minutes than the politicians did in twenty years. So it was it was a that that went. Uh, I think that went about as well as could be expected. Um, that that US Iran game, but I we should I maybe talk a wee bit about Germany coming at this because they were European champions. They probably were still one of the favourites, but it's quite an ageing team at this point, isn't it? Like, as you said, it was Mateus' fifth World Cup. Um, Klinsman was 34 at this point. Thomas Hassler was, was uh, 32. They, they, they did have Bierhoff, to be fair, but it's not the most... When you look, compare it to, you know, Italy's team, Brazil's team, It's I don't think it's got quite the kind of same amount of uh, excitement. And uh, I actually thought, I actually thought, I remember going into this, I thought Yugoslavia would win this group because they were so good in qualifying and in Spain's group, they were pretty much, um, they weren't far behind Spain in qualifying. But, but you know, they, can, they come joint top and uh, they probably should have beaten Germany. But um, it's still it's still a, a good showing from them. But I had to round back, not so good for the USA. Definitely not. Into group G now. I'm trying to keep tabs in what, in what group I'm at because there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, England opened with a 2 0 win over Tunisia, goals for Alan Shearer and Paul Scholes. Romania 1 0 victors against Colombia. In the second round of fixtures, England are shocked by Romania. There was a lot of controversy that the Mighty Atom, I can't ever recall them being referred to as the Mighty Atom, but. Uh, Michael Owen apparently did go by that nickname for a stage. Mate, yeah. <laughs> he was he'd come off the bench in the Tunisia game. It was hoped it would start against Romania. That didn't happen. Comes off the bench though and equalizes to make it one one. But it's the Romanians that get the last laugh. Dan Petrescu sticking the ball through the legs of David Seaman, two one, with one of the final kicks of the ball and I'm sure it was this game that there was a bit of a chat on commentary that there was only one team that could win the game and so on and so forth. Mm. It transpired there was only one team that could win the game and that was <laughs> Romania. So they, they claim a, a mighty scalp in this game. Colombia yeah. still had the chance after beating Tunisia as well. So it really kind of set up a, a grand slam finish to this group. Yeah, I mean, it was all coming into Colombia-England, wasn't it, the final game? Um I, I, I've got to admit, like uh, coming into this tournament, England did look pretty good because they'd won, uh, they'd won that friendly tournament a year before with Tournoi, hadn't they? And then they actually finished ahead of Italy in qualifying. Italy had beaten at Wembley, but England, uh, yeah, I think they got a draw in Rome or something to secure their kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, winner status of that of that group. And Glenn Hoddle was kind of proven to do a really good job at the time, and they had. You know, they had kind of young guys coming through like Saul Campbell, David Beckham, and uh, the mighty Atom, as we all know him as. <laughs> yeah, the, I, it was a big game, one tick Columbia England coming into this one. Yeah, it was, and it was decided by two 
brilliant goals. Darren Anderton's one is immensely taken uh, high yeah. into the roof of the net. And then David Beckham's sublime free kick. That's within the first half an hour, England 2-0 ahead. That's how the game would finish. A, a competent victory, and I think they were, they were very competent against Tunisia in the opening game as well. Sandwiches in between a, a defeat, but at the end of the day, they, they go through. It's group runners-up, possibly not what they aspired to, given what mm. was lying weight. But the, the confidence of winning a, a decider match, you would, have, you would have thought that England would have been quite confident that they could take on anyone at that point. Yeah, I mean, Colombia weren't. Uh, Colombia were one of the favourites for '94, but they'd kind of they'd, they'd not really unearthed any new stars since you know that time of Valderrama and Espria and that. And so, you know, they, I can't even remember if Espria made it, but Valderrama was getting older, so it wasn't. They weren't quite at the height they were in '94, um, even though that was a surprise elimination as well. But I, it's, yeah, it's a good result for England, though. It's a good. Uh, it's a decent group stage for them. What I, should, what I remember for this, actually, see that England-Tunisia game, I was actually, so the World Cup started and we had like about two weeks, I think, left of school before we got the summer holidays. But just around that time, I got chicken pox. So I was off, I was, but I didn't get it that bad. But So I was off school, obviously, because you can't, you know, be contagious and all that, but I, I felt kind of all right. So I was just, I, I just remember from that game, like that was the first game, you know, I was off school and that was on like half one in the afternoon. And I remember turning on the telly and Des Lyon and going something like, oh, shouldn't you be working? So he said that and it's like opening line. I was like, nope, I'm all good. I'm like, this is just, this is exactly where I want to be. 12 year old house to myself <laughs> watching football all day uh, for like, yeah, two months, two weeks till the summer holidays. Great times. I'm pretty sure I had a school sports day in that. Uh, I'm sure it was a Monday afternoon. Uh, it was. Uh, but I don't know how I would double check whether I definitely did have a school sports day. So we'll, we'll move on and we'll talk about the final group. So we've, we've almost got there. You're you're getting closer to the real nitty gritty here. Ooh. Group H, Argentina, Croatia, Jamaica and Japan. So as I've already alluded to earlier on, both Jamaica and Japan debutants at the World Cup. The reggae boys were getting <laughs> quite a bit of traction, really, because they did have a lot of less glamorous names, if you will, from the, the English Premier League that were getting their opportunity to play at a, a major tournament. So that was something really different. And they got a, a brilliant moment at the start of this group. They went 1-0 behind against Croatia. But they equalised through Robbie Errol, so one nice of those goal, players eh? that I talked about there, uh, Premier League player, pops up with a goal known for his time at, at Wimbledon. In the end, though, they would succumb 3-1. Croatia looking very, very good in that game. Argentina started with a win against Japan before they hammered Jamaica 5-0. Possibly more what you would expect there, Greg. Mm-hmm. Batistuta a second half hat trick. And at the same time, Croatia managed to get the win against Japan. So we're already only two thirds of the way through the group, but we're already at the stage where we know who's progressing to the last 16. No great surprises. 
No, not really. But I mean, you still got to give, you know, you, you still got to give props to Croatia since this was their first World Cup. I think a few of these players had played for Yugoslavia before, but it's still, I mean, even if even if this is as far as Croatia had got, that that'd be a that'd be a great success. I think they were only Croatia only became independent in '92, I think. But at this point, though, you would think that Argentina were the stronger team in the group. Uh, you know, like as you said, we've got Batigol. We've got Ortega, who is I think Ortega might have been the first new Maradona. <laughs> I mean, we've had about we've had about fifty by now, but um, I think Ortega he was the first one that I remember. It was like, oh, this guy's a new Maradona. But um, they had Cla- Claudio Lopez. He's a great striker. Or, well, it's time at Valencia anyway. Not so much Lats, but no, he's good at Lazio as well. Actually, I'm thinking of Mendieta. But um, you know, Veron. He was Veron was in his pomp here. Zanetti, Almeida. So aye, they've got a. They've got a really kind of strong looking team, and it's just them along with France, isn't it? They're they're the only two um, perfect teams in qualifying. Yeah, that's right, and they they did finish with that one 0 victory over Croatia. Japan defeated by Jamaica in their last group game, so Japan finish bottom of the group. Jamaica managed to to perform fairly respectably at the first bash at the World Cup not had another one since but yeah I guess they'll they'll take immense pride from that not so good for Japan in their debut year at the World Cup zero points so one of only two teams to exit the competition without registering a victory or a draw let's move on to the knockout stages and what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and work through the brackets here so it may be a wee bit scattergun if you're trying to follow this (laughs) Going in your your France ninety eight wall chart that I assume you still have up in your wall, but I'm going to start <laughs> with Brazil four, Chile one. Okay, that man some pile again. Back it's in target, good, he gets a double. And mm. uh, Ronaldo, a double for him as well. Salah did get one back. <laughs> that would be Salah, <laughs> not Mohamed Salah. <laughs> um, Marcelo Salas gets one back for Chile to make it three one. Ronaldo shortly afterwards slotted in a fourth. I'm going to try and kind of fly through these as much as I can, but Greg, the indicator you gave when you were talking about Chile in the group stages were that they were a, a difficult side to beat, albeit they were really struggling to hold on to a lead. It was quite surprising that they were beaten by such a emphatic margin, so they've exited the tournament without winning a game. But possibly looking back on it, you think they, they performed pretty respectably. Yeah, I mean, because as we said, Italy were lucky to get that equalised penalty against them. But I, I do remember watching this game live. I think this might be my favourite Ronaldo performance of the tournament, um, even though he was very good a couple of games later as well. But I remember Ronaldo was pretty... I watched individual highlights of Ronaldo again the day in this, in this game, and he's just like... I, He's just kind of untouchable in this game. A kind of memory from this game was I remember so many times that, you know, the director would always pan to Ronaldo's girlfriend in the crowd. I just remember him always pan Ronaldinha, I think she was known as at the time. I think she was a footballer as well. But um, yeah, but no, Chile were no mugs though, because they beat England 2 0 at Wembley. I think it was on Michael Owen's debut. Uh, they beat England 2 0 at Wembley, so no mugs. Uh, but Brazil. Kind of really dispatching in style here. Same in the bracket, Nigeria versus Denmark, and this is where 
Nigeria's fairy tale run would come to an end. Denmark 2-0 up within the first 12 minutes. Peter Moller and then Brian Loudrop with the goals. Nigeria had a lot of chances to get back into this one. But in the end, they'd go down 4-1. And what was a really entertaining game. It was just a, a step too far, but right to the end, they managed to entertain the crowds. And Denmark were showing signs that they, signs that they were more than capable of doing the same. Yeah, I think uh, so. Peter Moller, he'd he'd been kind of uh, banging the manager's door, door to start uh, up, up up to this point, and then he gets rewarded uh, by starting him with a goal in the third minute. I think uh, I think a lot of us like Nigeria, though. I think uh, Nigeria were a lot of kind of um, neutral favourites. You know, they they just liked they liked the fans and the style they brought to things. They liked a lot of their players. Uh, but it's the it's the, like the kind of quick double from Denmark in the first twelve minutes that really kills them here. Um, and but it's definitely not that it's, it's quite a misleading scoreline. It's as it as you said, a lot of chances for both teams. Denmark are really stepping up. Nigeria have a lot of chances. Just quick shout out to Babangida. He gets a consolation goal. Uh, and ISS on the PlayStation. ISS legend Babangida. So <laughs> everyone, everyone who played that's got a soft spot for him. There may be a wee reference to him in the the opening music for this podcast as well. So yeah, good on him. He's. Uh... He should feel very good about himself if he's listening. <laughs> Holland 2, Yugoslavia 1. In the end, Edgar Davids wins the match in injury time. Talked about that penalty start. Now here's where I really learned my trade. Yugoslavia miss a penalty at 1-1. Um, cannons off the underside of the bar. And then they punished uh, Davids. It's a low drive from outside the box. That seals the game. A massive, massive talking point, even more so when we're going to talk about his impact in the quarterfinals. Dennis Bergkamp's stamp on Mihailovic. Yeah. 100% a red card as well. He manages to escape any punishment there. Yeah, and it's kind of, that's what he did, wasn't it? Then uh, Bergkamp, he was a bit of a, he was a bit of a dick. He was a bit of a bully, in a good way. Uh, that's kind of, um, it's kind of exemplified in his goal as well, you know, Um he kind of bullies the defender, doesn't he? And then just then scores. But good on him. Yeah, I thought that was quite a strange one, though, because I was watching back the the uh, commentary of the game and there was a bit of surprise that it wasn't given as a push. And I, mm. I don't, I think his, his touch is really, really good. Yeah. As it always was. But then he, he, just the way he shifts his body is so intelligent. The defender's got to kind of commit himself and commit his body weight forward. So at that point, it's easy just to get your shoulder in. And I'm I'm actually acting that out as I sit here and talk. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's for me, it's as much of a nudge as it is a push. It's quite a typical. The defender's already going down. Yeah, aye. Uh, but that, aye, it's. I was very, I was very, um, I wasn't, I didn't like, I didn't have any allegiances towards Holland or anything, but I did really, I always thought Edgar Davids, he was just one of the kind of coolest players around at the time, wasn't he? So I was, I was very happy when he got the winner. Any comment on the penalty, uh, Mijatovic? It's, it's a good penalty, to be fair. Van der Sar's <laughs> nowhere near it. Uh, it's just rebounds back off the underside of the bar, heartbreaking stuff for them. And again, a, a team that we've, We've talked about a reasonable length so far. A very good showing at the World Cup. 
Yeah, just think if you could combine them with uh, Croatia for the old Yugoslavia, they could have probably gone all the way. <laughs> but it's a shame for Mijatovic because he got the winner, didn't he, in the Champions League final uh, just before. But not to be this time. Uh, and then, yeah, it just shows it was it was in Holland's destiny to get to the quarters, at least. Another team that were destined to reach the, the quarterfinals were Argentina, who eventually prevailed in a, another World Cup classic. After 120 minutes, it was Argentina 2, England 2. Argentina go through after a penalty shootout. Really quick fire opening to this game. Alan Shearer puts England ahead from the penalty spot. There was a penalty at the other end and Gabriel Batistuta converted his penalty to make it 1-1. The Atom oh, is back. <laughs> uh, and with one of the most <laughs> memorable goals in World Cup history. Um, incredible run. Solo effort. Tremendous finish to put England back ahead. But yet again, it's cancelled out. Uh, Javier Zanetti heads home. So it's 2-2 at half time. A real turning point is when David Beckham was shown a red card for kicking out. And then uh, another talking point, Saul Campbell's header ruled out for offside. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even really know where to start. I've kind of <laughs> diced over the facts. Let's, let's start with Michael Owen's goal. Um, oh, as I say, it's one of the most memorable in World Cup history. It's like a Salome run. It, it just seems to to get faster and faster and pick up more pace and leave more of a trail of destruction behind him as he as he jinks in and out. Yeah, I mean, like, see, my first thought when he scored that goal, I was like, oh, shit. Like, England have an absolute world beater on their hands. <laughs> like, oh, no, we're going to have to deal with this guy for the next 20 years. Um I mean, it's not like Owen had came from nowhere. I think he was the Premier League's top scorer the year before. But I think, um, I'd, I'd say at this point, the World Cup's still a, another level. It's still a step up from, from the English Premier League, uh, definitely back in 98. So it was, aye, I was quite worried <laughs> when uh, he scored that when he scored that goal. I've always, quite, to be honest, like, I've always quite liked Michael Owen. Um, a, a lot of English footballers I don't like, but... I was I I was just quite liked how Owen went about went about his business. I know he's I know people don't really like him as a pundit anymore, but it is a kind of shame what happened to him with his hamstring injuries. We you know we don't have to get into that just uh, now. But um, one thing I don't want to gloss over was Argentina's equaliser. That's like one of the best worked free kicks I've ever seen, <laughs> and apparently they they kept they kept trying that in training, but they it never actually pulled it off. Uh, but it, it came off here just beautifully, like but completely fooled England, and it's such a good finish from Zanetti as well. Yeah, it certainly is. And so Campbell, you think to oh. years later where he has the goal disallowed in the Champions League final as well, he made a bit of habit of that. Yeah. Was that, I, I couldn't remember, see Campbell's goal here. Was that an extra time? Because obviously if it was, then that would have been golden goal. But was it was it a normal time? I. I'm sure it was towards the end of the ninety minutes. Ah, I think I think it was. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I thought yeah, I thought so... I, I thought at that point, yeah, I thought that was a goal. But then it, it is definitely a foul by Shearer, though. I don't know what they're complaining about. Um, with that, to be honest, it's definitely a foul. Yeah, I, sorry, I, I did say that it had been offside. That's that's not the case. It's, it's Shearer goes in and Roja doesn't he? And yeah, and that's the reason. 
I'll get it clarified as well whether it was uh and it, I think I'm just reading this as well, trying to to catch up whether it was definitely during the ninety minutes, but he also had a goal disallowed in Euro two thousand and four as well, didn't he? So <laughs> yeah, quite an incredible. Ah, oh, so he, he would have a litter of uh, of big goals and obviously doesn't have any really of note. So yeah, shame for Sol Campbell. <laughs> in the penalty shootout, Paul Ince and David Batty missed from the spot. Yet again, penalties, the, the scourge of English football and and they exit the competition. So a, a mouth-watering yeah. quarterfinal, Holland against Argentina. And we'll talk about that one just shortly. Italy versus Norway. It was a battle of defences, to be honest. Even watching back the, the World Cup film from this year, it was, one with a few games that really get glossed over because mm. there wasn't much to it. There was very few chances. Although Tori Andrew Flo could have responded after Christine Vieira, who Vieira was having a a really impressive tournament. He took his chance brilliantly, it must be said. Yeah, nice. yeah. Italy though just grinding on through the tournament. That goal for Vieri took him on to five, by the way. Tori Andrew Flo got a good chance late on, but it was gathered by Paliuka in the, the Italy goal. It certainly yeah. wasn't one for the for the purists, was it? It was uh Nah. The um the, I, I think is the word I'm looking for. Aye. <laughs> yeah, the, the game itself isn't really of, of much note because it's yeah, it's Cesare Maldini and Egil Olsen, like say no more <laughs> about the two managers. But what's kind of interesting is the subplots developing here because there's still you know, the Italian press was still all you know, like Baggio or Del Piero, because Del Piero was fit now and he gets the nod over Baggio in this game. But I mean a lot of people were just saying, like I mean, obviously you've got to play Vieri, but oh, just play all three. Because Italy weren't they didn't have, you know, many wingers or attacking mids. It was like at this point they'd switched to a back five and they were just playing, you know, those two up front and three Albertini was obviously a very good midfielder, but the other two are a bit more kind of workman like and um uh, it's just, it's 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 just frustrating. Like you could have really you think you could have unlocked the team's potential a bit more if you'd fun fun for the neutrals as well, if you'd played uh, Baggio and Del Piero in the same team. But yeah, that's the game itself. Hadn't much to, not much to mention really. This World Cup was the first where golden goal had been introduced. Obviously, wasn't played at the European Championships in nineteen ninety six. France were the first beneficiaries of this in their game against Paraguay. Again, a one 0 scoreline. On that occasion, Laurent Blanc, the hero in extra time, it's a knockdown by Thierry Henry. It's a real striker's finish from Warren Blanc yeah. to, to win the yeah. game. Scare for France against a Paraguay team that were, again, excellent during the, the competition, excellent to qualify from the group stages. And they really could have claimed a, a big scalp in this game had it not been for a really bit of intuitive finishing from Warren Blanc. Yeah, I think... Um... You'd probably reckon if France had Zidane at this time, they had a you know they had a bit of easier time breaking them down. But it's such a stubborn Paraguay team, and France are at home, 
and the pressure must have just been building so much at this point. Uh, but you know, because they don't, Blanc doesn't get the winner till the 114th minute. So, I the, the, the like penalties at that point would have probably been unbearable, and it it like you know it'd been pretty cool for neutrals to see one Jose Luis Schiele there when <laughs> scoring a winning winning penalty in a in a knockout or something like that. But it wasn't to be gutted for him, but France eventually get through. Just last two games of the last 16 to cover. First one we'll look at is Germany 2, Mexico 1. That man Hernandez strikes again to put Mexico ahead. And after that, they would hit the post before Germany struck back. Jürgen Klinsmann, really striker's instinct to equalise. And then Oli Bierhoff scores with six minutes to go. Heartbreak for Mexico and I suppose... They went through all sorts of emotions at this competition, given how they had got through to the last 16. But they looked like they were going to claim a a really big scalp. Didn't quite transpire that way. The, the chance that hits the post is, is just such a turning point. You can almost see the reaction of the, the fans and the players are perfectly oh. aligned. It's just a real feeling that the game isn't going to quite transpire the way they hope. Yeah, was that when it was 1-0 to Mexico? Was that when they hit the post or was that uh, one yeah, each? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just the, it's just the way with Mexico into it. They're, they're always the second round team. They can never quite get to that fifth game. Uh, and it just seems at this point, Germany are doing just enough each game to get through. Yeah, it was, it's one that I think it has a German defender. I'm, I'm not 100% sure who it is. But it beats Kopka, all ends up, because back off the post... Ball does break to Hernandez, but he's just not able to kind of turn the ball back home. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it is one of these ones where you get to the crowd and everyone's looking at each other, and it's that sort of disbelief. How did that ball stay out? Yeah, yeah. And it all unravels from that point forward. Where <laughs> it, it, it just almost feels like it gives the, the opposition who at that point were very much on the ropes that wee bit of impetus to get back into the game. And then from there, it's weird how football works out but yeah, a, a real turning point despite the fact it should have been a turning point for a completely different reason Aye, yeah. Final game of the last 16, Romania nil, Croatia won quite quick in this one as well because it, it wasn't a great game Nah Again the, and the more I think about this year's World Cup the more I dread how VAR is going to impact it but it's another shocking penalty decision in this game that settles it. <laughs> and Daversucker had to take it twice. Both, it must be said, he did convert. That settles it just on half time. Croatia's dream run continues. They'll face Germany next. By this point, the Romanians were all sporting fantastic haircuts. And I would imagine, Greg, if you had recovered from the chicken pox, which, to be honest, I'm a bit dubious you were ever really suffering from. <laughs> you would have also dyed your hair blonde. You think I would have actually, but no, I never did. I think I got it spray painted once because I did have I did have a skinhead at that time. But yeah, it would have been easy as well. But no, I didn't actually. That is actually for anyone who checks out our Twitter page. That is our uh, cover photo. This Romanian team <laughs> with it with a blonde hair. What's funny though that that's the you know the kind of subplot of this is they dyed their hair blonde after they won their second group game against uh, Colombia. No, against England. Sorry. 
uh, they did that as a celebration, you know, the old dial of hair. And someone in the Romanian camp, I can't remember if it was a manager or someone on the outside, he thought by doing that, they kind of angered God. <laughs> and they'd, like, they'd uh, placed a curse upon them. And after that, you know, they were lucky to get a draw with um, Tunisia and then they lose to Croatia. And as you say, a dubious penalty. So maybe they would, maybe they were cursed. Uh, and uh, they'll never dye their hair blonde again. It did inspire quite a lot of, of terrible haircuts around that time as well. Didn't it? Uh, <laughs> even I, I, I don't know whether it inspired Craig Burley because he, uh, for the Scotland-Morocco game, which, and again, Craig Burley, what happened to him in the final group game against Morocco? He gets sent off. So it quite clearly did anger God. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean... I it was, it was probably Dennis Rodman. He was he was the one that was kind of popularised. That I think, but yeah, don't don't do what Dennis Rodman does. He's he's not the best role model. <laughs> so it's time to move on to the quarterfinals, and we'll start with a stunning result for Croatia. They emerged three 0 victors against Germany. Christian Warns was sent off for the Germans, and then Robert Yarney strikes in the stroke of half time. Uh, Vlalovic doubles the lead, and then Davor Sukar who else caps off an amazing success? Greg, I keep yeah. on talking about Croatia's amazing journey through this tournament. And we also touched upon the fact that despite their wealth of experience in big tournaments, this was an aging German side and you maybe see it and the, the tournaments were to follow. There was an injection of, of fresh blood into the squad that changed their fortunes over the coming years. But here it was just a step too far. Warns is sending off pivotal, but they just couldn't match the intensity that Croatia played with. And they thoroughly deserved to go through in, in such emphatic style. Aye, and it was it was great to be honest. I don't think I doubt there was any neutrals supporting Germany here. Because, you know, a lot of people would a lot a lot of people had really taken a shine into Croatia. I mean, I think a lot of us in Scotland uh, really like Croatia <laughs> for for various reasons. As as like you said, um, it's a kind of uh, we're we're between. This is the kind of end of this German era, 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 <laughs> and then we'd get you know they call it Das Reboot. You get Das Reboot in like 20, 2009, 2010, You know when you get guys like Thomas Muller, Neuer, Ozan that coming through. But it is they do. I know they get to a World Cup final in two thousand two, but it's not a very good team. Um, so. We're at the beginning of the kind of dearth of talent for Germany for you know around a decade at this point. What's well, funny this game, like the uh, the first two goals, Croatia's first their first two goals, um, Yarnis and Vlaovic's, they're kind of mirror images, aren't they? Like Yarni scores it in the first half, you know, the kind of outside the foot bit of cut spin on it, and then Vlaovic scores pretty much the exact same at the other end of the pitch. Um, Robert Yarni, of course, do you mean he signed for Coventry, and then like a few days later he signed for Real Madrid. He never played for Coventry. <laughs> I think that was like um, I think that was a it was rumored to be because I think he played for Betis and Betis didn't want to sell him directly to Real, so that was Real and Coventry's kind of um, way around it. <laughs> but but it's obviously we see Suker chiming in with another goal, which uh, might prove important later as well. No, certainly, and I talked about the unpredictable nature of that first quarter final, somewhat. Predictably, however, France nil, Italy nil, and with the way that the Azuri set up, I just couldn't really see 
many other outcomes for this game. There was the return of Zinedine Zidane for this match, and he made an impact. He was certainly driving the French forward. Just before we entered extra time, Roberto Baggio has a really good opportunity just inside the six-yard box. He makes good contact with it, but it just kind of flashes uh, past know. the post. Um, it's one of these kind of tantalising ones where it eventually ends out out the park, but it's a matter of millimetres between it finding that back post and, and nestling in the net. And the yeah. shootout, Lizard Rizzo misses for France, but then Albertini can't take advantage. He misses. DiBaggio misses the crucial penalty for the second World Cup in a row. Italy are victims to a penalty shootout. A cruel way to end, but given what I mentioned about the Norway game and then their very defensive style in this match as well, at a time where the French were building that momentum and there was a real wave of excitement behind them, especially with the, the home crowd backing them, I think this was the outcome I wanted on this occasion. I, I, I just, uh, just to correct you, Andy, it's actually the third shootout they went out with in a row. Remember, Argentina knocked them out in Italia ninety as well, so it was a third shootout uh, defeat in a row. So yeah, not be, not the best luck with penalties, but I, I think the story of this was like it was Zidane was coming back, and I, frankly, I think Cesare Maldini was terrified of him, so I think he just lined up Italy as defensively as he could. And as I said, it's such a shame with the, the talent they had. Absolutely, France deserve to go through here when you watch the highlights. It's like they're the only ones trying, to be honest. They're the only ones trying to win. Italy are just trying to hold them out. And, um, I mean, Zidane said after the game as well, he was like saying, look, you guys have the best attack in the, in the, in the tournament. Like, why why don't you why don't you service them at all? It's just a mystery. Yeah, I still, I mean, that's, uh, I still wish Baggio would score that, though. It was a bit like David Platt's goal against Belgium in, in, in Italian night now. Uh, the way it just kind of drops over his shoulder, and it's uh, I, I would, I would like that, but no, I, I don't blame anyone for supporting France in this game because, uh, as I said, they're pretty much the only ones trying. And Italy, Italy go home and um, pretty much disgrace given the talent they had. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't think Maldini lasted long after this. Yeah, and you think about that. To your point, Christian Vieri. Deserves a hell of a lot of credit because he scored yeah. five goals for a team that that didn't really run a venture up the park very often. So <laughs> to come away aye. with that goal haul was quite impressive. Exactly, aye. yeah. So I good on Barry was Barry was probably one of the best players of this tournament actually. But um, aye, as we said, he had to do it all himself. Let's go on to talk about two much more entertaining quarterfinal matches, and we'll start with Brazil prevailing three two against Denmark. This was a, a classic, a real ding-dong encounter. Now, keep in mind that during the group stages, Brazil had already lost the Scandinavian opposition, going down 2-1 to Norway. Mm -hmm. And alarm bells must have been ringing in their head after two minutes when Martin Jorgensen put Denmark ahead in this one. Eight minutes later, Bebeto levels things up and then Ronaldo provides Rivaldo to chip the ball over Peter Schmeichel and make it 2-1. Another goal for Brian Loudrop in this tournament made it 2-2. But in the never mark, they would go 3-2 behind. It was Rivaldo again, absolutely cracking strike. And at that point, you've got half an hour to go and what's been a, a basketball-esque match, to be fair, mm -hmm. where 
both sides have almost abandoned defence and just desperate to, to add to their goal tally. Mark Reaper, who I believe at that time would have been at Celtic, came agonisingly close to levelling it at 3-3. His header came off the bar. Brazil go through and they've done it in style here. They've already put four past Chile in the previous round. Yes, they've got those defensive frailties and they've been evident at quite a few points of this tournament to the to the quarterfinal stage. But when you've got the firepower that they do, sometimes you're just as well thinking, well, they're going to score one, but we'll score two. <laughs> the, old, the old Kevin Keegan school of um, learning. <laughs> but, uh, or in this instance, they score two, we'll score three. Hi, yeah. I think what's impressive about Brazil in this game, though, is how quick they reacted. You know, because Denmark take the lead, they equalise eight minutes later, and then later on, Denmark equalised, and Brazil regain the lead nine minutes later. So, as soon as they encounter a problem, it seems they can kind of sort it pretty quickly. This game that is quite a quite memorable bit from this game was obviously Roberto Carlos's attempted bicycle kick clearance in his own box <laughs> that led to Brian Loudrop's goal. And then Brian Loudrop's goal uh, celebrations pretty um, famous as well, isn't it? Where he just kind of lies down and rests his hand on his um, rests his face on his hand even. Um, but yeah, a great game. It's a great finish. Uh, it's a great winner by Rivaldo. It's, it's pretty much like it's a postage stamp, isn't it? It's it's, in, it's inside netting, I think. As a as goal, but this is yeah, this is one of the best games of the tournament, isn't it? Um, two two assists from Ronaldo as well. So even though he doesn't score, he's still making a huge difference. You've not talked about Rivaldo at all yeah. so far. Um, clearly the key man in this occasion, and as as you say, he takes both his goals superbly well. Even when you've got a a unit like Peter Schmeichel, <laughs> you're bearing down on him. He's, he's raced out his goal. To just ease the ball over them in the way he does, it, it's just so effortless. And then the winner, as I've already talked about, is a, is a great finish. Tell us a bit more about your memories of Rivaldo, please. Yeah, what's um, what's funny about Rivaldo is because the because like the star of Ronaldo was so great, he almost, um, and, and this time, he, he goes a wee bit under the radar, but he was probably in the top five, if not maybe top three players in the world at this time as well. If we put Ronaldo on an island on his own at number one, I think at this time Rivaldo would be fighting it out with Del Piero, pre-injury Del Piero. And um, yeah, I'd put him ahead as a Dan, honestly, at this point as well, uh, Rivaldo. Die, just just a great player. Obviously, as Ronaldo got his injuries, as time went on, Rivaldo was kind of left to to carry Brazil. And he, he carried Barca so much as well during, during some of their kind of dark times. Um, there was a very memorable hat trick he got against Valencia to get him in the Champions League in the, the early two thousands. He was just a, a really a really clutch player as well, Rivaldo, um, as well as being phenomenally skillful and um, talented. Last and four quarterfinals, another game that will live long, long in the memory. Perhaps the best ever at the knockout stages of the World Cup. It finished Holland 2, Argentina 1. Now, if both sides were attack-minded in the Brazil-Denmark game, somehow those or these two managed to take it even one step further. It was just a frenetic game. So much attacking football being played. The first goal came for Holland, and it's a ridiculous, ridiculous success by Dennis Bergkamp, <laughs> who's 
almost sitting down, managed to push himself up, nod the ball to Patrick Clivert, who converts to make it 1-0. But Claudio Lopez fires back really quick for Argentina. And suddenly they've got all the momentum. Ariel Ortega hits the post. Batistuta hit the post as well. And then after Newman sent off for a second yellow card. So at this point, Greg, it looks like Argentina are really in the driving seat for a place in the semi-finals. At this point, yeah. And then um and then Ortega, he he stands up <laughs> and uh Vandersar's chin's in the way into it. And uh, he goes he goes off. You see some of the goals that Holland have conceded in this tournament. I'll I'll back and think that, that Van der Sar should have done a bit better for quite a number of them, to be honest with you. And this was this was really disappointing. I think that it all starts with the the simulation by Ortega. And given what penalties have been given for up until this point of the tournament, it's almost beyond my comprehension how Argentina didn't get a penalty. But in the aftermath, there's just there's just nothing in it. It's one of these ones that they would generally be just separated by a couple of players intervening. The referee maybe brandishing a yellow card if required, mm-hmm. but not on every occasion. Ortega's maybe a bit rash in the way that he, mm-hmm. he bounces back to the back to a standing position. But yeah, Van der Sar, he sees an opportunity and with his team right up against it, he takes advantage. And that sets up, yeah, just the, the most <laughs> outrageous winning goal from Dennis Bergkamp. Frank De Boer, I wonder whether, and I've never ever seen him talk about it, I would love to hear him talk about it, because for me, and maybe it's just because I watch too much Scottish football, it's just that aimless hit and hope ball <laughs> up the park. But it lands plumb in Dennis Bergkamp's foot. And now, that's doing an absolute disservice to Bearcamp, who has to produce to this day what remains is one of the best bits of of control I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. His next touch sets him. The third touch is a winning goal that sends Holland through to the semi-finals for the second successive World Cup. Holland win it right at the death. Talk more about this. <laughs> Fab. I mean, it's probably the most memorable moment of the whole World Cup, isn't it? It's the most um, replayed moment of this, even, you know, more so than the final or Michael Owen's goal. Um, I, it's just, yeah, I remember, like I said, I didn't really have a stake in who won this game, but I remember just jumping up celebrating when he did score it just because it's like, fucking hell, what a goal. Um, and I don't think it's hard to see other players have the ability to have scored that goal, but I don't think anyone would have done it. You know, the way Bearcamp did it, just with that, you know, the kind of arrogance and kind of panache of it. It's just, and this, yeah, the celebration as well, when he kind of runs off, he's got his head in his hands, he don't quite believe what's just happened. It's, oh, it's beautiful. Um, uh, yes, and it's, yeah, I mean, it sets up a, it sets up a very t- tantalising looking semi-final, but, <laughs> I didn't realize this until until I was kind of researching. That. Like it would have been if it you know if if Argentina had won and let's say Ortega stayed on, it would have got a Brazil Argentina semi final. It's like oh that'd be tasty. I'm just I, I mean I'm glad this happened all that, but I I'm kind of hoping that happens in this World Cup now. I hope we get a Brazil Argentina you know in the uh, going late 
a semi-final or a final because we've never really seen that before. But back to Hall in the Bear Camp, pretty good goal. Yeah, and I, I think that another thing is how aesthetically pleasing it is. The the game was played out at the Stade Velodrome in Marseille, and that helped as well because during this tournament there was fairly differing weather, but this game being played in the south of France was certainly beneficial and it was a really, really sunny day as well. Yeah. yeah. There was plenty that were played in passing rain, but <laughs> yeah, this this was much different. It was, it was just a beautiful football moment and it's been it's been played out so many times. Uh and it's one you'll never tire of watching. It's no. I think when despite all the, the feats that Dennis Bergkamp had as a, as a player, that one moment will be his, his pinnacle, if you yeah. will. And, yeah. and when we go on to talk about these semi-finals, I guess that's unfortunately how it, it transpired. True, true. We'll, and we'll, we'll start with the Brazil-Holland one. So it's a, it's a repeat of the 94 semi-final. Ronaldo is his sublime best here. He opens the scoring. His first touch is oh. delightful. Holland tries him out. Don't look like they can find a way back into the game until Patrick Clybert levels with three minutes to go. So we're, we're on to the golden goal again and the drama of that is tenfold with a place at the World Cup final up for grabs. As it transpired, Nobody manages to get that goal. We go to penalties. In the shootout, Brazil are four for four. Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Emerson and Dunga all converting. Frank De Boer and Dennis Bergkamp got honed off to a good start. But Philip Colcu and Ronald De Boer both miss. It's a heartbreaking exit for Holland, who thrilled many during the tournament there. The legacy will be that quarterfinal victory over Argentina. It just wasn't quite to be, and the the Brazilians, who at times have been sublime, at, at times they've been a wee bit more industrious. They found a way to get it done, and I think there would have been a great deal of relief because there was points during that game where, after Clive Hertz equaliser, it could have went the other way. Yeah, I, th- I think relief's the right word. Um, because for any other for any any other country getting to a semi final of a World Cup would be a great result. But for Brazil, Brazil it's a disaster. <laughs> if you if you go out in the semi final, um, or even lose the final, it's a disaster for Brazil. Um, but yeah, they they just about managed to edge past Holland. I mean, when you look at the two teams on paper, there's not a lot of difference there. Yeah, Ronaldo's an alien, but apart from that, you know, Holland have a very good team. It's like there's not really anything between them. Um, but yeah, I was watching the highlights, individual Ronaldo highlights of this as well. We see like so often he drops a bit to about the halfway line and he just takes the ball and runs with it. And he's got about five, four or five Dutch players around him the full time and they're like kicking it to bits, but he'll still just he'll still just, you know, run ring ring bleh, run rings around them. But and it's a third, you know, it's I didn't notice in that until I was kind of researching this. It was the third game in a row where Holland get a late goal, you know, a crucial one as well. Yugoslavia, Davids, Bergkamp, Argentina, and then Clivert in this game. So they do have, they've obviously got, you know, good mental strength. The uh, the Dutch team as well, in this case. But um, one of my my main memory of this game was actually 
I can't remember if it was extra time or if it was just towards the end of normal time, but Ronaldo's basically threw on goal and somehow Davids catches up to him and does he just it's the most amazing last ditch tackle uh, from Davids. Um, so that's that's my main memory from this game, and uh, and I do remember feeling a bit sorry for Holland though uh, to lose on penalties, even if I probably was supporting Brazil. But um, yeah, just two two really good teams though. This one. Do you remember the time the Dutch came under a wee bit of scrutiny for the likes of, of Mark Overmars, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, sure Pierre Van Hooydonk as well. They were. Van Hooydonk came off the bench, but the other two that I mentioned there weren't introduced. Was there a wee bit too much caution from the Dutch there, or is it just the, the magnitude of the game? Do you, do you avoid uh, uh, taking, taking those real risks against a team that have already proven that they can score many goals because they've got such an abundance of talent going forward? They'd scored four against Chile, three against Denmark, so I think I, I guess is the right was on the wall there. Yeah, it was probably the latter. I reckon you know that if you if you put another attacking player on, then that that takes one guy off Ronaldo, doesn't it? So <laughs> then you have at least three guys on him, four even. Yeah, I, I did think that the Gusheading was perhaps been kind of criticism beyond what he deserved being leveled at him there. And yeah, yeah, and the end it's, it's Brazil on to the final. The Netherlands, they'll play in the third and fourth place game, which we'll, we'll talk about very briefly before we talk about the final, of course. There was still one place up for grabs in the final, though, and that would be decided between France and Croatia. France falling behind in this game for the first time in the tournament. Davar Suker scoring just after half-time. It was a mistake from Lillian Turam, but my God, did they make up for it. One minute <laughs> later, he's the unlikely hero. He's, he's levelled the game. And he comes up trumps later on as well with the winning goal. The commentator actually mentions the fact that he doesn't look up. He just hammers the ball goal for <laughs> But I think there's much more to it because it really it curls in. It's a little curling effort uh, from just outside the box. An unlikely source, though, your, your defender becoming the goal hero. Yeah, Normally the headlines that... were reserved for the likes of Zidane and, and Henri and Gary and Givash yeah, I can go on and on. Yeah, and I think this was this might have been his first goal for France, first two goals as it as it transpired. But he was already Turam was already one of well, like I, I was watching football Italy every week at this point. He was just a great player for Parma Turam, so he was one of the best defenders about. But I didn't know he had this in his locker, um, and he was playing wing back, I believe, for France. I think France were playing, you know, a, a back three, back five kind of thing. So. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't see this coming from Turam. I wanted Croatia to win. I won't lie. Um, I wouldn't. I France had kind of rubbed me the wrong way a couple of times in this tournament. Uh, but um, and I, I, I liked Croatia, uh, so I felt sorry for them. But uh, yeah, I, I really liked Turam though. So it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Um, it's got it's another kind of famous celebration here where he kind of he kneels down and kind of contemplation <laughs> puts puts his finger over his uh, over his mouth. Uh, it's quite a funny celebration. I remember. Henri says um, after this game that Turam could have gone out at night and he could have had any women he wanted in Paris. <laughs> so hopefully, I don't know who knows, who knows if he did or not. Um, but yeah, to, uh, yeah. So Turam um, dubbed as going from zero to hero in this game. 
just because of his mistakes. I think he played a uh, he played Sucker on side, didn't he? For um, he didn't stay with the rest of the defensive line for Croatia's opener. But yeah, more than makes up for it. Uh, but I I guess since it's our last chance to talk about Croatia, just again, what a job they did. Uh, Miroslav Miroslav Vlasovic, the the manager. Only became independent in 1982. And I think this World Cup, football in general, they must have played such a huge part of Croatia being recognised as a nation um, with this. And obviously, you know, they went on one better uh, four four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. Uh, they got the final. Then uh, just France. France in the way again. But good on Croatia. Absolutely. And there was a talking point towards the end of that game as well. Laurent uh, Blanc. Sent off. That's right. Now there had been the the ritual between himself and, and Fabian Bates throughout that tournament, where he would kiss the head of his goalkeeper before every game. Yeah. He would repeat this for the final, but of course, the an influential figure within the team, he's now suspended for the final. Slavin Village. I think he's he's a wee bit of an instigator himself in the situation, but it must have been a really really sore one to take playing all the way through and even scoring in the penalty shootout against Italy. On this occasion, though, he's, he's the villain, I guess. And if it had transpired mm. differently, then it could have been, an, it could have been a much different scenario from, from what we remember about Lauren Blanc during this tournament. Yeah, and, and you got to say fair play to Blanc because yeah, I think uh, yeah, it, was a, it was a big overreaction from uh, Slavin Bilic. And uh, as you said, he, he got the penalty against Italy, he got the goal against Paraguay. and But he doesn't, no no major dramatics from Blanc when he realises that he's going to miss the final. It's not like Gaza, who definitely should have got a straight red <laughs> for that tackle against that German guy. Um, got, I mean, I don't blame him for crying or anything, that's fine, but he can't complain either. Like, that was a that was a horrible challenge, Gaza's one. <laughs> but um, Blanc... Uh, I think undeservedly gets a suspension, but he just rolls up his sleeves and gets on with it. Still gets his bar tears on the head, but wearing a suit this time. Yeah, absolutely. So it was Croatia and Holland, of course, that exited the tournament at the semi final stage. They would contest the third and fourth place playoff. And given the, the circumstance of Holland's exit, particularly. I don't think it was any surprise that they were a bit subdued and a, a bit under par for this third and fourth place playoff. Robert Prozinetsky put Croatia ahead. Follows in then scores a wonderful goal to make mm-hmm. it 1-1. Yeah, great goal. But that man, Sucker, uh, goal number six of the tournament, makes it 2-1 before half time. That's how the game would end. Croatia, you've already kind of given the the summary of how good the tournament was and that can be vindicated by a bronze medal in the competition. Let's move on to the showpiece event, the final. I've already talked about the, the tradition of kissing the head of Fabian Bartes. That continued. The big talking point in the lead-up to the game, though, was the will-he-won't-he scenario with Ronaldo. He told people that he wasn't playing. There was team sheets released that seemingly said he wasn't playing. So much uncertainty, basically until these teams walk out, and there he is, he's, he's part of that Brazil starting 11. Firstly, what can you tell us about the, the scenario 
that led to all this uncertainty around Ronaldo's inclusion or participation in the final? Ah, there's just there, there's so much we could go into here. There's there, there's so much uncertainty about it. But um, from from what I gather, uh, on the day of the final, sometime like after lunch, I think Ronaldo goes back to his hotel room and he starts having like convulsions. Um, Junior Baiano, he was in the kind of you know Brazil centre back. He was in a room near him. Him and him and Zé Roberto were trying to get a nap uh, beforehand, and then they they hear screaming from outside the hotel room. Turns out it's um, Ismundo who's screaming. Uh, Ismundo's like you know because he's talking about Ronaldo. He said he's screaming like Ronaldo's dying. Ronaldo's dying because uh, people could see him convulsing on the floor. Like he was having a fit. He was like drooling things like that. Um, so this is like lunchtime. Apparently the whole thing only lasted like thirty or forty seconds, uh, and then Ronaldo passes out. Uh, so when he comes to, his whole body's in pain, but the pain slowly goes away and he kind of starts feeling all right again. But you'd think there's no chance he's going to play the game after this. But he goes and gets some tests in uh, in hospital. Tests come back fine. It's it's kind of it's put down to the emotional stress. And then at this point, this is, you know, let's say like, you know, BBC's coverage is kicking off here and they announced that um, Ronaldo's not in the team sheet and Ismundo's going to play, going to play instead of him. And then I remember like shortly before kickoff, uh, Gary Lineker says, all right, we've been witness to one of the biggest wind-ups in World Cup history because uh, Ronaldo is playing. And you can see David Ginola next to him because he's in the panel. He's like, like what the fuck's going on? <laughs> it, was, it, was, aye, it, was, it was very bizarre. But yeah, there's all sort of conspiracies that go into this. Like some people think that Nike forced uh, Ronaldo to play because they are, you know, heavily sponsored and all that. Uh, there's you know, no one. People think Ronaldo was poisoned. Um, I think the general consensus is that it was, you know, it was some something like a panic attack, an anxiety attack, and he he took he took a fit. It's never happened since, but that's um, that's where we're at coming into the uh, coming into kickoff anyway. So Ronaldo does start. Yeah, and um, while he started the game, it's hard to argue that the Brazil really started that game, to be perfectly honest with you. They were miles yeah. off the pace. All the early running came from France. And therefore, it was no surprise when Zinedine Zidane heads home the opening goal. And from there on, France never looked back. He repeated the feat before half-time, almost a, a carbon copy. Mm-hmm. Before there is a a bit of hope for Brazil in the form of Marcel Desailly dismissed for a second bookable offence. Yeah, and that, I'd forgotten about that actually as well, uh, that Desailly got sent off. And I think Danielson hits the bar as well, doesn't he, at 2-0? But then France eventually get the winner. but um, <laughs> Not the winner, the third. Um, but yeah, I, I had forgotten about that detail. of, uh, And it was quite, it's, there's still quite a bit to go. There's probably about half an hour left. No, no sorry, 20, 20 minutes still left to go at that point. But I do... I do sympathise with Brazil here because with Ronaldo on the pitch, I don't. Think, Ronaldo probably shouldn't have started to be honest, because with him on the pitch, his teammates are probably thinking, they're probably they're probably thinking, what if he dies on the field? Like, what if he collapses again? Like, not only was he such a good player, he was a very popular guy, very likable guy, Ronaldo. The, you know, that was probably if I was his teammate, that'd be the forefront of my mind. They wouldn't be winning the World Cup, uh, and I, they're bound to have been distracted and. Um, what Leonardo says as well was that they'd work since Ronaldo was out of the team, you know, for a few hours anyway, they'd worked on set pieces, you know, like who was marking who, 
with Ismundo as part of the team. And that was, you know, that that kind of came into play with uh, France's first two goals. Zidane wasn't picked up on corners. So I'm not saying that's why they lost or anything, but it could have played a part as well. But yeah, it's, it turns out into as it turns out just a just a very bizarre game. Brazil just aren't mentally there at all. And Ronaldo's luckily, luckily Ronaldo's physically fine after this, but his head's not in it, understandably as well. He's just, you know, he's in there, he's there in body, but not in not in spirit, I think. Yeah, and after Desai's sending off and there's a there's a really nasty clash between Bartes and Ronaldo where Yeah. Yeah, it kind of careers down on him. Uh it looks like well, it's clear that Ronaldo's come off second best in that one. And it, you just think it could have all been so different because he, he didn't have that razor sharp pace that he had demonstrated mm-hmm. throughout the tournament. It, it was just a bit sad really and that's the, the abiding moment. That I'll remember of, of Ronaldo during that final. I'm just being kind of flattened. And Bartes was completely within his rights to come for the ball and oh yeah. Aye. And almost kind of clean out his man. He, he's just uh he's played the World Cup final and his team are 2-0 mm-hmm. up. It's it's completely acceptable conduct. Uh, it was just a bit sad the way it ended. And Emmanuel Petit, despite the fact that France are down to 10, he caps off a, a devastating display from the French because Make no mistake, France went into this final with the weight of a nation on their, their shoulders. They had enjoyed a, a magnificent run to the final, but this was their home tournament. They had the opportunity to be the first host nation to lift the World Cup since 1978, so a 20-year gap since the last time that happened. And and Greg, there's, there's no taking away from the fact that they totally deserve to win on this on the basis of this 90 minutes. And I guess when you have had a, a tournament like they did, where they, they only had fallen behind for the first time at the semi-final stage, they reacted to that, they found a way to win. And then they show a different side of their game when it came to the final. They, they thoroughly deserved to lift the trophy following this final. Yeah, I mean, we've probably not spoken about France enough, have we? But they, um, they were... They were a, a a very good team. I think I do. I I think Zidane's um, impact on this World Cup is a bit um, not a myth, not 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 that strong, but um, it's I, I think it's exaggerated due to his two goals in the final. But beyond that, they've got Henri and Trezeguet coming through. Uh, I think they've got Perez on the bench as well. They got like Liz, Liz you know, fan, one of the best one of the best left backs I remember. Turam, Desai, Blanc. So it is a, it's a it's an absolutely great team. Um and they 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 are they are they, they were definitely the best team in the competition as well. Um Brazil Brazil were definitely my favourites going in. Like uh, I thought they would win the World Cup. I thought they would win the final going into this as well. But once that once that drama with uh, Ronaldo happened, I just don't I don't think um uh, it was ever going to be. But yeah. It shouldn't be lost in us that France and Zidane absolutely played their hearts out in that final and deservedly won it. Yeah, I take your point on Zidane as well. I think that the one thing there's no disputing though is that with the absence of Brazil's talisman or the kind of physical state of Brazil's talisman rather, 
Zidane stepped up to the mark in that final and he was the, the heartbeat and the driving force of that French side. The whatever the, the what ifs are in terms of I'm not being picked up for either of the corners in the first half. He still got to bullet home the headers and he, he did that. It was, a, it was a sad way for the final to be settled off in terms of the circumstance of the final. I feel that some of the talking points moved away from mm-hmm. the product on the pitch. And as we've kind of exemplified over the course of this podcast, that there were so many memorable moments at France 98. It's a shame that the, the final didn't bring that many talking points on the pitch. And that's even backed up by the fact that you couldn't recall the red card. Yeah. You, you know true. what I mean? Like, in terms of a red card in the World Cup final, quite a momentous moment. But there was just so many moving parts around this game. Yeah, there definitely was. I mean, I don't want to sound like um, anti-Zidane either. I just, I, I don't think he'd uh, peaked at this point. Um, I th- as I kind of alluded to before, I think... Um, it was it was him and it was his and Del Piero's UFA team, but I think Del Piero was actually a little better at this point. But see, after France '98, that's when Zidane just kind of took off. Like Euro 2000, he was unbelievable. And we went and when it when he went to Real, you know, I think I think he got better as it when he went to Real. So this was his kind of real coronation, I think Zidane. So I suppose we haven't really lavished the same amount of praise on France as we have. Many of the other teams, who of course didn't go on to lift the, the trophy. What would you say was the legacy of this France 98 side? They went on and, and captured the European Championships two years later, though the World Cup in South Korea and Japan was, was immensely disappointing and they would drop out at the group stage. But it did spark a, a real period where the French were completely dominant, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, the legacy of France for me in this tournament was, personally, this is when I started taking France seriously as a footballing nation, because when, let's see, Euro 96, right, yeah, they did all right. I think they got the same as in Euro 96, but USA 94 weren't there. Euro 92 went out in the groups. World Cup 90 didn't make it. So me, as a kid growing up, I didn't see France as a, I didn't see them alongside, you know, Brazil, Italy, Germany, Argentina. Like I didn't, I didn't think of them as a big nation, and uh, and I think going into this tournament they were ranked twenty fifth in the world as well. France, Ami Jacquet, he was he was under quite a bit of pressure as well. The press didn't like him, you know, for being so defensive and things like that. And he kind of uh, pulled out the bag, I suppose, uh, winning the in the World Cup here. And then he did the, he, I think he did the right thing by stepping down because he was still pissed off at a lot of the journalists for uh, you know the the kind of tough time he gave him before the tournament and during I think for his kind of defensive style of play uh, so he's he did the right thing he just got out of there I think uh, probably a lot of France fans would probably wish Deschamps had done the same after 2018 to be honest uh, but after this um, Roger Lemaire took over and I think um, I think most people would agree that the Euro 2000 team was better than this one Henri had really kind of started coming to the fore then. I, in my opinion, Zidane got better, somehow. <laughs> but I thought even though he was, you know, in his late 20s at this point, but Zidane just, oh, so good. <laughs> Euro 2000. Uh, Vieira was coming through as well, obviously. And that, that Euro 2000 team was was very good. They were favourites, I remember, for 2002, definitely. 
Uh, and then I remember they lost to Senegal in the group stage, and it was all kind of <laughs> that was um, done from there. But yeah, this yeah that nah, this France team is I, I think I think this I think this France team is probably more fondly remembered than the twenty eighteen team actually. Maybe it's just because there's more distance, but that's the way I, I kind of feel. No, that's absolutely fair. And we'll talk about some of the the kind of general notes or side notes from the the tournament. There was a. Um, a lineup of 16 players that were the stars of the tournament that were announced following that final. The goalkeepers, Fabian Barthez and Jose Luis Chilavert. Five defenders on the list, Roberto Carlos, Marcel Desai, Lillian Turam, Frank De Boer, and then Paraguay's Carlos Gamara as well. Midfielders were Dunga, Rivaldo, Michael Loudrop, Zinedine Zidane and Edgar Davids. The four forwards, Ronaldo, Davosuker, Brian Loudrop and Dennis Bergkamp. Now, I had actually copied and pasted that into my notes and I'm quite relieved that with the exception of, of Gamara, I, I think that we've <laughs> perhaps, to a lesser degree, Dunga. We've made mention of, of all of those players during the tournament. Though, is there, is there anyone that, that stands out that you think maybe should have made the cut there that's it's not been named. You'd think Vieri, wouldn't you? I, th- I would put Vieri ahead of Brian Loudrop. Uh, sorry, Rangers and Chelsea, Milan fans, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'd put... Did you say Vieri? No. Uh, no, he wasn't out. No, no. Yeah, I'd, I'd put Vieri in ahead of Loudrop then. That's that's my... That's what I noticed there. <laughs> that's... Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that there's... There could be much argument about that. I suppose Loudrop did score a couple of really kind of momentous goals during the tournament, but yeah, I mean yeah, nothing, is... nothing against him. Why is he so good? As Jim White once said, but um, <laughs> aye, I would go with Yeri. I think in this tournament, good on both Sedana and Desai managing to pick up a red card. Yeah, and still featuring the the team of the tournament. Uh, <laughs> Sedan missing two games. I mean, again, that maybe alludes to to his Outrageous. impact, though the. What he contributed to that final, it would have been hard to leave him out that 16, I guess. Nah, nah, definitely not. You've always got some pop culture references. Um, I've been trying to quiz you and get that information out of you as to what you'll be bringing up on tonight's podcast. The floor is now all yours. I've nearly been talking for two and a bit hours now. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm giving my voice a rest. Uh, take it away for the next... I don't know, however long you like, actually. I don't know, man. I, I, I've not got much. It's just the usual, really. I've got this big build-up now, but <laughs> it's just the standard. So, World Cup final, 12th of July, 1998. UK number one was Fat Boy Slim, Rockefeller Skank. Do you, do you like that song, Andy? Couldn't mind it at all. Nah, I mean, I liked it at the time, and... Uh, I remember, I think it was the song for FIFA, for FIFA 99 as well. So my brother might have had the single as well. I can't remember. But uh, when, I, when I hear it now, it just, I don't know, it's just like pure boring <laughs> to me. It's not, it's, not offen- it's not bad or offensive or anything, but just like, oh God, this goes on a bit, man. Um, so uh, Rockefeller Skank was number one during the France 98 final. Very, very fitting, probably. You know, that was a very song of its time, isn't it? Um, UK number one film. Six Days and Seven Nights. Do you remember that? I do not, no. 
That was like um I did see this one. It was um the first one I think I've seen. Um Harrison Ford and some women and Hesh, I think it was, they're like stranded on a desert island, like their plane crashes, I think, and they kinda of have to make their way back. It was quite good. Um I only saw it once, but I remember thinking it was alright. Um it clearly it clearly captivated you to the extent that <laughs> 24 years that have followed you have not kind of <laughs> actively sought it out going on the back of the box it was alright <laughs> Greg McDonald yeah. 1999 uh, I, um, and then the album it's weird I couldn't it was kind of hard to read on Wikipedia which week was which but I've got either Hello Nasty by Beastie Boys so that's one with like Intergalactic on it I think or even better Five by the band Five, their debut album. I, I believe are still are still touring, but they've only got like two of them left. It's the <laughs> same with S Club Seven, who tour about, and there's only three of them. Aye, so two, formerly known as Five, then. Which is it, worse in the sense of S Club Seven because they had a kind of youth development system as well, didn't they? Yeah, they had a, that was a TV aye. show with an aspiring S Club Seven. So you would think you would just S you would dip Genius. into the academy and try and. <laughs> the Ajax model <laughs> that's clearly not been happening and that's for me where S Club 7 took a dip <laughs> I've got one more bit Andy I've got um, so the World Cup final we're only six for any for any wrestling fans we're only six days removed from uh, Goldberg beating Hulk Hogan for the WCW title it's a massive moment in wrestling that uh, so the World Cup 98 was only six days after that the, the streak carried on until I remember Kevin Nash beating about a year later or something, a few months later. But that was it's good times, man. 98, love it. In that World Cup, many songs around that as well. You had Cup of Carnival Life by Ricky Martin was the, was the <laughs> official one, but Carnival de Paris to this day still. I was at Hamden for the Scotland qualifiers quite recently and, and before both games, right before kickoff. It was incredible to think that I suppose that Carnival de Paris has got the build up to the chorus where it's the bagpipes and the, yeah. or in fact it is the chorus actually been played in the bagpipes, isn't it? Yeah, I wonder uh, who I wonder how Scotland got that kind of slot in the song. It's pretty it's pretty big, um I don't know. I don't know the word for it, but it's a good um <laughs> claim of fame. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's set, set my memorable one and this has been a, a really good trip down memory lane as well. I've really enjoyed it, mate, so thank you very much. Yeah, me too, mate. I've 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 learnt a lot and I've remembered a lot as well. Yeah, certainly it's uh, it's one that was great fun to go back over and and I'd say there's there was highlights that, that of course will live long in the memory and then there was highlights as well that I've just evaporated over time and, and getting back to see them and seeing the the reaction to those moments as they happened was was quite special. It's, it's a tournament, as I say, that would have been the same age. And as you're just, uh, you're so football is, is yeah, life. Uh, it's just your life. Uh, yeah. You're yeah. like just reading the magazines and that all the time, aren't you? I think, I think uh, we had, there was like a world soccer preview of, of France 98. And I just, yeah, just read that back to front. I'm just so, so into the tournament at this time. Just, just, I uh, really, really good memories of it. Yeah. I suppose, but I, I still get that we, buzz because I'm a sad bastard but the <laughs> the email comes out from 442 that your World Cup preview edition will is, is on its way and yeah. brilliant like, 
you you map it out and despite the objections from a missus and stuff like that, the you can bet that the wall chart will be up in the wall and <laughs> I'll be plotting every moment. I'm hoping to be working from home for the, the vast oh. majority of, of Qatar twenty twenty two. It's lucky. Uh, having having enjoyed much of the Euros last year from the same sort of position, but yeah, it's if the tournament can even kind of lace the boots of uh, France ninety eight Qatar 2022, of course, I'm, I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. It would be a very, very special tournament. So, yeah, great to look back. And also, it's kind of wet the appetite going forward as well. So, thanks again for your company. Yep. Thanks, mate. And uh, aye, thanks for listening, guys. You've been listening to That Was Football. We'll be back in a fortnight's time. Until then, thank you very much. Take care and goodbye.